glad he was able to be back tonight. God is good. I'd like you to remember my wife. She is at home with Sophie. Sophie is uh, pretty croupy. She definitely needs a touch on her body. And uh, we're going to be talking tonight about uh, gifts of healing, if you will. Tonight I want to make just a quick uh, reference over what we went over last week. And uh, some of you can remember what we talked about and what we shared and teach on last Sunday night. Anybody remember? Wisdom and knowledge and, and how they're two completely different things. But wisdom, let me just read a couple of notes. I just want to bring back to your, your uh, memory. Wisdom requires two things. It requires knowledge and understanding, truth and purpose. That's what wisdom requires. And as these two things merge, it creates the word wisdom. It's knowledge and truth, understanding or purpose. It brings the part of wisdom in this gift that God initiates in people's lives. The things he brings to pass and he gives us wisdom. It's a, it's a God-ordained gift. It's something that we all need. And it's something that all of us can have. The other one was knowledge, the ability to understand things, see things, see them even three-dimensional, if you will. You have an understanding. It takes time to develop these gifts. Oftentimes, they're not just something that happens, but it's something that God brings about. We read the story of the three pigs and how through each of their lives, each one of them had a better understanding of wisdom until they all end up in the brick house. And the last thing was this. Knowledge is something that's revealed. Knowledge of a particular or individual uh, topic or something to me. Uh, a word of knowledge will be something God gives you insight in into someone else's life. A word of wisdom is something God gives us to impart into others to give them direction in their life. And tonight we're going to be going down to the next two verses and we're going to be talking about the gifts of healing. And often when we hear the gifts of healing, a lot of people have said that the gift of healing and all the, the manifestations of the Spirit went out years ago. How many of y'all believe that that is inaccurate? We can go through history even in the 1800s, even in the 1700s with other, uh, during the Reformation and everything that went on in the history of the church, that there were still uh, lots of instances of divine healings. In our church alone, we've seen people who were miraculously healed, delivered, set free, a variety of things. And so we know that divine healing is still in operation. So uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Before we start talking about these spiritual gifts, one of the things I really want to stress is that these gifts need to be functioning in our church. Last week, I think when we have people come up for prayer, and some of them came up for a variety of things as we begin to pray with people, we ask God for wisdom and insight in each one we pray with. But, but it isn't just for us as we pray. You as an individual, you need the gifts of wisdom, with, uh, gifts of knowledge of things. As the Lord uses you and he prompts you. And it should be something that is kind of natural in our services. Or, or even not even just our services, but even when you're not here at the church. There needs to be things functioning in the body of Christ that the gifts are made in operation. Do you all agree with that? If we're going to be a funeral home again here tonight, then I'll just, we'll just get down to it, all right? Uh, last week it was super quiet. Tonight I feel like we're on the same track. Uh, the gifts should be in operation just, just as wisdom and knowledge. These two spiritual gifts tonight, one of them is faith and one of them is healing. Actually, healing is gifts of healing, and we'll come into that in just a little bit. But it's important that these gifts bring uh, operation into our church because what the gifts bring is they bring vision. They give the ability to look above and beyond just the norm of going to church. If you just go to church and you sit in the services day in and day out, week in and week out, it becomes a lot more what? 
boring, yes. It becomes a lot more just a traditional thing to do. It becomes just something we do as part of our routine. But as we begin to see the manifestations of the Spirit of God working, it begins to bring something alive and it brings hope. There was a young man this morning, and many of you know Joe, and how many of y'all know Joe Ryan, who, who came this morning? A few of you know him, most of you didn't know him, but his whole family, it's just been a, it's been a process of uh, Paul and Samantha coming, and then from them, different ones in the family, and all these pieces of this big puzzle just keep coming to service, and, and the Lord's doing things in their life, and, and this morning, I didn't know Joe was over there, and I was praying for some other people, and I looked, and, and Joe, man, you ever heard of the grabbing the horns of the altar, Joe was leaned over, and he wasn't kneeling, but he was standing with his hands on the altar, and he was just broken. Joe's never been broken spiritually. He's hardly ever been in church, but there was something that manifested in that young man's life over there, and it woke him up spiritually. If we become just a church that meets and greets, then that's all we ever become. But when the Spirit of the Lord is moving and people's hearts are changed, that was pretty awesome testimony of what took place with Joe this morning. So I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Now, before we stop here, I want to, the thing that's so critical about these gifts is that there's harmony. Gifts should not be something that are dysfunctional. Manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit should not be bringing things out of balance within the church. Are you with me? They should bring order and they should have purpose. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, when I teach on the gifts of the Spirit, and I teach, teach about who He is as, as a part of the Trinity, there's one thing about it, it is not offensive and it is not something that operates out of order. If there is a manifestation of the Spirit, there is a reason why. If there is a word of knowledge, there is a reason why. If there is a message in tongues interpretation, there is a reason why, correct? All of the gifts should have a direct purpose, not just done because we do it. And if you've been in Pentecostal rooms very long, you will hear people say, man, we haven't had a message in tongues interpretation in, in six months or a year or whatever it may be. And I always wanted to say, how many cases of divine healing have you had? How many workings of miracles? How many people have been given a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that you don't know about that's functioning? Oftentimes we have a spiritual barometer based on the least of all the gifts. But so the, the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit working in the church, it's when all the gifts are in function. All of them are working. This is not a spiritual barometer. This doesn't tell you if you're hot or cold. You're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. You're getting colder, you're getting colder. This is something that needs to be functioning within this body. Right? So why do we need the gifts? Because they work. Because they have a purpose. Because they bring direction. But the thing is, they're not differences in um, I guess you would say they would be plotting against one another. There's no levels of spirituality. Now, verse 6, there are diversities of operations, but the same God works in all of them. Now, verse 7 is a key ingredient, and a lot of people used to argue about this passage, and I've, I felt like this since I was a young man, the way I looked at verse 7 was this. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, it is there to profit somebody. That gift does not have a bunch of stipulations on who it can be used by, who God can give the gifting to. How many of y'all remember back in the, in the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Balaam. You remember that dude? And he was going against what God wanted. And when he was going against the will of the Lord, the Lord allowed his, his donkey to speak to him, right? And if the Lord can allow a donkey to speak at a given moment, and it, would you say that donkey was anointed at the moment? Do you think that donkey ever talked after that? I don't. I don't think it was a permanent thing, but it was a momentary thing. 
And some of us, we will have gifts that may operate once or twice. Some of us may have gifts that follow us our whole life. Some of us may have multiple things at different times. As it's needed, it manifests. But the thing about it, you don't have to be, you don't have to speak in tongues for these gifts to be working in your life. And you don't. A lot of people think you do. But then if that's the case, then there's a, there's this passage here isn't relevant. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, every believer, to profit. There's always a purpose for these gifts manifesting. So the first one I want to talk to you about is verse 9. It says, and to another faith by the same Spirit. And I begin to think about faith. And, and the key is verse 7, who is manifested is for everyone. And verse 9, it says, to another by the faith by the same Spirit. So when you hear the gift of faith, what does that mean? What is a person, when you think of someone having a gift, a spiritual gift of faith, what runs through your mind? Is it someone that walks around like Obi-Wan Kenobi with his lightsaber? Is that the one? Is, is it some like spiritual guy who can levitate spiritually? What comes to your mind when you think of someone who has this gift of faith? I'm going to tell you what I begin to see as I begin to think about the gift of faith and what, how it operates. To who is this gift available? And I think this is one gift. If we need any particular gift outside of discerning the spirits, but especially this one, is we need it. And I'll tell you why. This particular gift allows us to live boldly in our faith. A person who is a person who has a gift of faith is someone who doesn't back down easy. Someone who has a gift of faith is someone who can believe when nobody else does. Are you with me? The gift of faith is something not everybody has. Because some of us in this room are ratherly spiritually cowards. Because we're not real bold in a lot of things that we profess to be truth. But when faith becomes an element of a gifting, do you have faith when nobody else does? You believe when nobody else believes. You see the importance of the gift of faith? You are a tyrant spiritually. There's something different about you. When everybody else says, I'm just going to quit and go the opposite direction, you say, no, we don't run. We don't go the opposite direction. Why? Because your substance, your faith is on something bigger and greater than you. The gift of faith is something that comes out on the inside of you when you're put into a corner. You're, you know, you've always been told, you know, I don't like to get put in the corner, but I can get pushed around for a while. But once you get me in the corner, I'm not going to cower down and get on my knees and buckle down. I'm going to come out what? I'm going to come out swinging. Why? It's the same way with the man of faith. He may be meek and he may be humble. And if you think about the life of Moses, how many times did Moses try to get out of doing what God wanted? Because he felt inadequate, because he had been to Egypt, he had seen the lifestyle. He knew everything that was going on, and he tried to get out of it. Man, when faith began to rise up within him, there was nothing that was going to stop Moses. It's the same with us. This spiritual gift is something not everybody has it. Some of us are not as committed. Some of us are not as deeply drained. And some of us are. And you may not think that's a gift, but it is. A person who has a gift of faith is not easily intimidated. Man, when you think of someone who had a spiritual gift of faith, I think of David. Dude, he had the gift of faith because he believed, he believed in spite of his size, in spite of his ability, his faith was where? What did he say? He said, I come to you, I don't come to you with sticks and stones or whatever, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. You know, the Jehovah God, that's who I come against you with. And with that in mind, he, had a, he was a man and a gift of faith. Often after, often um, oh, often a person who has a gift of faith is willing to battle when nobody else is. I want you to go to Acts in chapter 3 because there's something unique that took place in a man's life that was rather cowardly just days before this. And it's Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple of the hour of prayer, 
being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried from whom they lay daily in the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, and asked alms of them to enter into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked of an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, and look, said, Look on us. Now stop a minute. All of a sudden, something hit Peter. Something initiated his gut feeling, his passion. If you want to be honest, his adrenaline kicked in, his spiritual adrenaline. And he was walking by and he thought, you know, what is the use of this guy being here? How many times did I see Jesus raise people from the dead, open their eyes, straighten their limbs, heal them of leprosy? And I think that faith element rose up within him, that adrenaline kicked in. And as he went by, he said, a silver and gold have I none, but what? Such as I have, I give unto you an element of faith. And that faith that welled up within him was a spiritual gift. It was something that he had. And he said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And what did he do? He rose. Why? Because faith was initiated. It was an appropriate time. It is so critical that spiritual gifts have their timing. Not always are they, when we all, the, you know, oftentimes I think the timing issue is one of the most important parts. It is the most important part about spiritual gifts. A man or woman steps out. When others quit, a man or a woman of faith is the one who steps out when everybody else quits. This person is an exhorter of the church body. Nothing shall be impossible. If you go to Matthew in chapter 17, it says those words. But we're going to get a little more into it than that. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 and verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to his disciples. Why were they faithless? Because the gifts had not started working in them the way they were going to. You see, we all have a time that we come and we embrace Christ maybe, and, and we see that, and that's great, and that's awesome. We're on our way to heaven. But there's more to it than just embracing him. There's another place that he wants to take us, and that's when we begin to embrace that there's more than just this. Because now that we're in the kingdom, but now we're a child of the Lord, then we begin to operate in other giftings that we benefit others. Let's read on. How long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples, and then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said, Because of your what? The opposite of faith is what? Unbelief. How do we get rid of unbelief? By exercising faith. Until you and I exercise faith, and we become elements in that one spiritual gift begins to dominate us, then we'll always struggle with the unbelief side. Do I understand everything about healing we're going to get to, or, or even a work in miracles, and even faith at times? Not at all. And neither do you, but it's something we have to exercise. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse 21 said this. Uh, actually, it's read verse 20. And he said unto them, because of your unbelief, for, for truly I say unto you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind of prayer goeth out not this kind, goeth out but only prayer and fasting. I'd like you to go to another place in the book of Numbers in chapter 13. This is an Old, te an Old Testament element of faith. But it's a gift. How many of you have ever uh, watched the world's strongest men? Anybody ever watched that? MetLife, it was on ESPN today, it was on Channel 12, and 
we have a lot, you know, some of us have a lot in common with those guys, and, you know, me and Seth especially, and, and when we look at these guys, a lot of them start, start making these grunty noises, and, uh, and they start doing, what are they doing? They're getting their faith in order is what they're doing. Because the reason they're getting their faith in order is that they know they can do this. They've done it before. But you know what happens so oftentimes just like them, if your faith is not in order and you don't get it moving in order, you'll never accomplish what you have seen happen in the past. Are you with me? It's the same way in church. It hasn't happened in six years. Why would it happen now? Why would it not happen now? Because of unbelief. Faith is a key ingredient in each of our lives to seeing things initiated that wells up within us and comes out. So here we go back to the book of Numbers in chapter 13 and verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What was going on was there was a dynamic of everybody was in an uproar. Moses got them out of Egypt. They're going across the sea. They've been in the wilderness forever or for a, quite a while anyway. And they got over there, and it's time to go into the land of promise. And they send the spies over, 12 of them. Ten of them come back, and they got everybody fired up. I mean, it can't happen. It ain't never going to get better. And let me stop here for a minute. In our lives and in our families and just maybe friends sometimes, they are the element of faithlessness. And they begin to speak to, oh, it's terrible. It's never going to get better. All oh, this is bad and that is bad. The longer you're with them, the more diminishing your faith becomes. So what did Caleb do? And this is where I feel like the gift of faith operates in the church. Not everybody has vision, but some do. And when that element of faith begins to well up within us, why, sure, we can take them. Absolutely. Matter of fact, the whole environment was was gloom and doom, and there's no way God can bring us out. And all of a sudden, Caleb goes, hey, hang on, folks. And there begins to be a momentum shift. And Caleb says, we are most definitely able to go up and take them. If we will move right now, element of surprise, God is with us. There's no way that we can't because his faith was fired. His faith was passionate. And his faith was something that motivated people. And we know the rest of the story. After he swings the, pull, pull, the pendulum to his direction, verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than they. You are going to go through things the rest of your life that are stronger than you. And it is only through faith you're going to get through those things that are stronger than you. You can get pumped up and lift weights and all those things, but if you don't get your motivation and get yourself going the right direction, you'll always cower to what everybody else says. Without it, little gets done. With it, nothing can stop his move. The gift of faith is a thing. It's something that changes atmosphere. It's something that changes everything in our life. The gift of faith. Often I think that when we think of the gifts, we think of this, this moment that we're in this service and, and there's a Shekinah glorious hovering and the lights are flickering and, and people are just laid out and people are seeking and people are weeping and crying and we think that's when the gifts of faith, that's when these gifts begin to operate. Maybe so, but I think the gift of faith is something that be operating in our life daily. It's something that should be happening in this body, and it's something that becomes contagious. You know, we have a couple guys that are whoopers and hollers and throw their hands up, come up and stand, come up and kneel, some do a variety of things, and that's great and awesome. You know what they are? Their faith is being exercised. Their faith is being out here promoting. They're out pushing who they're serving, and that faith is an element of something that gets boosted up. If you're a little bit reluctant to, to boost your faith, then you need to start. And I'm not saying you have to do what anybody else does, but your faith has to be initiated. The gift of faith. Let's go a little farther. 
Go back to 1 Corinthians, if you will, in chapter 12. And this is where we're going to close. Only two points. Gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. Look at verse 9. It says, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit. It's the only place you're going to see gifts. Because I believe that healing gifts are multiple. I don't think there's one particular thing because there's so many different instances and things. I'm going to give you three different things I think gifts of healing kind of uh, pertain to. I think it's a plural gift. Uh, so what does healing have to, uh, healing refer to? Supernatural provision from God that, that through man's ability, gifts can be both physical, emotionally, and psychological healing. How many of you all believe that God can heal in all those things? A lot of times when we think of healing, and I'll be honest with you, most of us, when we think of healing, we only think of physical healing. That is the, that is the biggest thing we think about. We think about a leg growing or, and her foot coming back or, or deaf ears opening. And I shared the story on Wednesday night. The girl at camp this summer that was walking through blind, basically had her glasses on, and she's going through the prayer tunnel, and people are laying hands on her. She prays. The Lord tells her to stop, take off her glasses and see. She says, I can't see if I take my glasses off. He said, take your glasses off. So she took them off, and he, she could see everybody perfectly. She goes to the doctor. Some of you weren't here Wednesday night. She goes to the doctor, her uh, obstetrician. No. What they call it? No, obstetrician. I forget what that is. Optometrist. She goes to her eye doctor. Just make it in my terms. She went to her eye doctor, who was an unbeliever. And she walks in. He goes, let me see your eyes. She goes to her checkup. And he begins to tell her that these are not the same eyes she had before. Something has happened. What's went on? And she begins to tell him the story of what took place at church camp this summer and leads that guy to Jesus right there in the middle of the, of the office. What is that? That is a gift of healing through a prayer line, and that's obvious. It's an outward thing. But there's a lot of healings that take place that I believe gifts of healing refer to other areas. And sometimes, for whatever reason, we think, well, that's, that's something I don't like to mess with, or I don't want to dabble in that. To me, that's too much, or that's psychological, or that's emotional healing. I'm going to give you instances of people who went through psychological healing from Jesus, people who went through emotional healing, and people who had physical healing. Do you understand this? The gifts of healing are things as far as the completeness of us. If you've ever went through depression, you've ever went through emotional things, you've ever, we've had, we have a lady in our church, she's a young lady, she, she was several months into her pregnancy and lost her little boy here uh, about two or three weeks ago, it's Morgan and Cody, and, and her emotions have been, have been rampant all over the place because they're losing the baby, and, and so everything's been awkward for her. She needed not necessarily the physical healing, she needed emotional healing. She needed psychological healing. Are you still with me? Do you understand the gifts of healing are all one thing? I really want that to sink in because a lot of times when we see somebody who thinks differently or acts differently, we just kind of write them off and we avoid them because they're not like us. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is psychological healing. It's something that somebody's got a battle of the mind. And I'll be honest with you, there are people here every Sunday that have battles of the mind that nobody knows about. There are things that they battle and tendencies and things that attract them and things that compel them to think in ways that is psychological. And they need healing. They need deliverance. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. You have to agree with it. Then the cross is in vain. My Lord didn't come just to receive the stripes on his back just for my physical body healing, but also so that mine can overcome those things which keep setting me back or taking me back or hindering me. So I'd like you to go, if you will, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. You may think, well, this wasn't psychological, you think? 
And they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. Let me ask you, where did that unclean spirit, what did it control in this man? It controlled his mind. Psychologically, if somebody lived in a graveyard, graveyard, would you think they got some psychological issues? How many of you have seen a few people, you think they have psychological issues and only live in a graveyard? You know what I mean? And so here this guy is extreme. Who had, in, uh, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice, I don't know if you can take your mind here and vision this, and, but I see this guy that stunk, was not groomed, probably not clothed, and he lived in this graveyard because he intimidated people. But why did he stay in the graveyard? Why did he live there? Because the spiritual thing that was upon him was about death, so he stayed to the closest thing that he could relate to. Among the living, he was an outcast. Among the normal, he was not accepted. But there, nobody could affect him, and he was totally consumed with this demonic influence. And so here he is, and he sees Jesus coming, and instantly he runs to Jesus, and he recognizes him. You think this is not mental or psychological? He cried with a loud voice in verse 7, What do I do with thee, Jesus, son of, da- son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of the man. Thou unclean spirit. And he asked him his name. What is, and he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. I'm going to stop there, and, and I'm going to jump up a little, a little bit farther. Um, no, I'm not. I'm just going to stop there. The thing that went on here is this guy was tormented. You can read it yourself. You've heard me preach from this over the years many times. But the Lord wasn't looking at him with the scars on his arms. He wasn't looking at him with the chains that were on the ground or the fetters. He wasn't even looking at where he was living. Jesus looked at the issue or the psychological issues of this man. Now, if Jesus could see him and say he needs healing, he needs deliverance, do you not see that as a spiritual gift of healing? Absolutely. So let's think about us for a minute. Often we think, you know, am I hopeless? Am I helpless? Will God ever work this out for me? Can he ever change this in me? He knows my feelings. He knows the things that I deal with. You know, we live in, you've heard me say this before, we live in such a confused generation so confused, especially sexually. You're all the time hearing something goofy about all of a sudden now somebody thinks this and somebody. The spirit of confusion is something that goes on in the mind. And from our educators to our government and even to our locals, people get confused. And they're getting bombarded with all this information that tweaks and twists what's normal in their mind. And then they become something they were never meant to be. I think of this guy here, and I looked at a lot of people in our community and people that I've known over the years, and I do not say this out of judgment or hatred. I just see their life and where they are, and, and they are in a miserable place because they're not fitting in. They don't work. Nothing works right in their life. Everything is always chaotic because the psychological part is that's messed up. You may be here tonight, and you went through some horrible things. I know some of you have been through some things as a child that were horrible and things that you've encountered that were bad and, and there were things that could have affected you. But the, here's the thing about the Lord. When he brings healing, I believe it's also the torments of the mind, person who's demon-possessed, it's all a psychological thing. 
that it's in hell. I'm going to go to chapter 15 of Mark as well and talk about another person who was killed psychologically. Mark chapter 15. I'm not going to be much longer. I'm about to wrap up here. I'm going to be honest with you, one of the hardest things to pray for with people when they say, will you pray for me? I'm having these voices in my head. I'm hearing things going on in my head. I have these tendencies I know we're not right, and, and these things that bombard me. That's kind of weird to start trying to pray for somebody's psyche of how they think. But the anointing is there for the same thing. The gifts are for that. So in chapter 15, verse 9, oh, you know what? I told you wrong. It was chapter 5, verse 15. Go back. Please forgive me. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, they see him possessed with the devil who had the legion set him in clothes and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That they saw it, told him how it befell to him, but he was possessed with the devil and also concerned him with swine. And they began to pray that Jesus would depart out of their coast. I want to go back to verse 15. It says that he was in his right mind. Absolutely, this, this issue of psychological healing had to do with his mind being right or not. I want to go to emotional healing is the second one. If you go to the book of Luke and chapter 7. Spiritual gifts are not freaky. They're not out here in this little um, um, twilight zone of things that happen. These are things that all of us have to understand. They need to be functioning in the church. They may have been done away with and forgotten. And people said, the, you know, nowadays in the first century church it worked, but it hasn't since. But here we have two ladies. I'm going to talk to you about two different people that had something very emotional going on in their life. In chapter 7 and verse 37, Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, which when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with what? Tears. And he wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw this, he, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what, who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. You can read the rest of it. But here's the deal. We have a woman who had some emotional issues. Maybe she had been abused as a child. Maybe she wasn't accepted by everybody else. Maybe she looked different. Maybe she walked different. Maybe she was built differently. And all these stereotypes and all this history was thrown on her. And so she had this emotional wreck going on in her life. And she hears about Jesus and she said, I think I've got hope if I can get to him. If I can get to him, I think I have hope. So she goes there and she gets in his presence and she begins to break emotionally. She begins to wash his feet and her tears wash his feet. She dries his feet with her tear, with her hair. What's going on here? She is emotionally getting spent because Jesus is bringing healing, healing even unbeknownst to the Samaritan or the Pharisee. He was bringing healing to this lady. Another, another scenario similar to that is in John chapter 4. These were emotional things. How many of you have ever dealt with an emotional issue that you need healing over? How many of you have ever known a little kid emotionally that every time they go to bed at night and they're five, six, seven years old, they're still wet to bed? They're still wet to bed. Maybe, maybe they're 12, 13, and they're still wet to bed. Because of emotional things that has happened or trauma. And I could tell you uh, from the life of, of, a, of a four-year-old granddaughter, the trauma. Um, we happened to drive by and, and see someone from her past and her past family her oh, her father, we'll just say that here recently. And, and those since then, instantly, she didn't even get to talk to him just briefly. She didn't even see him. We saw him. 
And as we saw them and the word came up and said his name was mentioned, she said, I want to go see him, I want to go see him. And so we can't, he's doing things he shouldn't be doing. And emotionally, she began to get all tore up emotionally. Stay with me. One of the things that she always feared, and I'm going to tell you, say, say this publicly, is because whenever things were bad with her dad attacking and beating up her mother, they would lock the doors and he would beat and curse and swear and beat on the doors. And immediately after seeing him out, she started having that old emotional fear. Mommy, come in the bathroom. I don't want to be alone. The doors scare me. Why? Emotional things are just like psychological. They're still psychological, but they be begin to run through our emotions. And she begins to get frantic. She goes to the bathroom by herself with the door open. She gets frantic. Why? Because instantly those old emotions and the things she experienced as a two-year-old lifts its head back up now as a four-year-old. Emotions are things that only Jesus can reveal into. Can they re-arise? Absolutely. You all have no idea how many times a night we will lay and pray with this little girl for protection over her mind, over her heart. Things that she went through that nobody knows about, things that she recalled. This is the thing about God's healing. A lot of things she's beginning to pass off and not remember. But Satan wants to raise up those old things. In chapter 4, the whole, in chapter four of John, the whole chapter is about a woman. Verse 7 and 8. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For the disciples were gone to the city to buy meat. And that's all you need to hear. Jesus goes to a well in the middle of the day, sends all of his disciples away, and here comes a woman. Here comes a woman that was made fun of. She had a bad reputation, a lifestyle that was not very appealing, had a lot of a list of things that kind of went behind her name, if you will, and emotionally she was spent. Have you ever known that girl that never got along with the other girls? But she sure got along with all the guys. I think you can relate. See, I remember the girls who got along with all the guys but could never get along with all the girls. She looked good. She was built good. And because she could get along with all the guys, there was always something being taken advantage of this girl because she got along with all the guys. But when she went out in the public, when she went to school, when she went to town, everybody began to talk about her. As they began to talk about her, Emotionally, she began to begin, became more and more distant from those that she should be close to. So what did she do? She went after the guys even more. You see, emotional things, Jesus went out of his way to go to the well to speak to a woman who felt pushed out, a woman who didn't feel worthy, a woman that nobody else would talk to. Why? Because he wanted her emotions there. Are you with me? These gifts of healing have to do with a variety of things. I don't believe gifts just mean healing a finger, healing a nail, healing an eyebrow, healing ears, healing a tongue, healing the nose. I think it's something that's deeper than that. John chapter 9, we're going to stay in John. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're just going to read to play something. And we're going to have prayer tonight, and we're, we're going to go. We're not going to keep this long. I'm almost done. John chapter 9 and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, or was, uh, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while others day, and the night cometh when no man can work. He goes on, and we know the scenario here that God brought healing to this fellow, and he healed him instantly. And as he healed him, it was a miracle, but it was a physical thing. And the last place I'm going to share with you is something that we all may deal with at times. Amy mentioned something this morning in Sunday school. When I was in Springfield um, last Tuesday, I drove out to get ceiling tiles for the uh, additions and changes out here. And um, 
When I went to get them, I, I just got through Springfield, and Maisie rode out with me. She's the best traveler ever. And, and uh, I was taking her to Bass Pro to walk around before we came home. And, and Amy called. She goes, I got a question. Do you have time to talk? I said, yep, go ahead and call. So she called me, and she began to ask me questions about divine healing. She said, I've had four families call me in the last day or two, and they all had to do with, with things that were terminal, things that were not things you wanted to hear. And, and the first or second one, both of them had gotten negative responses. And he goes, I don't understand. What are we doing wrong with reaching God and faith elevating and divine healing coming? And I began to talk to her about a variety of things that I don't understand about healing, but I know this, God is still the healer. He still is. And tonight, if, if, if you need healing physically or mentally or anything else, he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring you peace and give you peace that only he can bring. And let me tell you this. I've had, um, and I don't want you to take offense to this. I think the reason some people aren't healed is that they take the, uh, the purpose of this healing out. And I'm going to say this to you, and I really don't mean to say this to you to offend you, but if you're doing things to your body that causes something to reoccur and keep going on, you know, I never pray for gout. Even though it hurts and it's uncomfortable, the Lord's saying you got to wait, wake up and wise up on what's creating this gout. So now that I'm figuring it out, what do I do? I have to do some things to alter my lifestyle, alter the way I eat. If you're a diabetic and you want to eat raspberry Twinkie things, those little great little juniors like I love by the box. If you're diabetic and then you want somebody to pray for you because you're in a sugar coma or whatever they call that, uh, there's no reason to pray. You're the one that's inducing it. If you have COPD and you, you want to smoke every time you get in your vehicle when you leave, why would I pray for you? Are you with me? It's the same way with anything that we know that we're doing something against what his will is, and then we ask him to override his will. It doesn't make any sense. But there is something about healing that we don't always understand, but I think a great example of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's something that Paul dealt with. A lot of times we go through this journey and we have questions on why, and I think this is a great example of why. You believe even when it doesn't make sense. We believe when everybody else has given up. We believe even though nobody else cares, we still believe. And chapter 12, verse 7 says, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I'm going to stop here for a minute, and I'm going to take that and I can apply anything to it. Now, and I'm not taking the scripture out of context. But I'm going to say this, there's a lot of things that happen in life that frustrates us, and we don't understand it with healing. Lord, with good gravy, with all y'all been through the last couple of years, you could get frustrated really easy and begin to question God. But this is what the Lord said to Paul. Three times, this is three times you've come to me. For this thing I besought the Lord three times. This is Paul, a man of faith, who wrought many miracles, many people healed, people raised, all these things, him overcoming viper bites and everything else. I besought the Lord three times that he might depart from me, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's something about healings that we don't always understand, but we don't give up. We keep believing. It's the Lord who has the ability to heal, and we keep trusting Him. Amen? These are spiritual gifts that should be functioning. Why they're not more, I really am not sure, but I do believe this. Over the past few weeks, and I feel like where we are now, we're going to see some of you begin to step out. And I'm going to tell you, let me give you a little indication. If, if, if we come up here and we have people that are, that are being prayed for for healing, and all of a sudden when you're back there, man, you begin to, 
you get that unction, you you get that passion and starts burning in your spirit and you start thinking, man, I need to go pray for them. Why would I go pray for them? Who am I to go pray for them? Remember, this element of being obedient has nothing to do with how great you are or that you're holy or that you're a prophet. It just simply means God tugs on your heart and says, if you'll step out on behalf of somebody else, I'll work through you into their life. I just will. How many times over the years when you come up to pray with somebody, they're already broken, but you go up and you instantly lay hands and begin to pray, and they exuberate, break even more. Why? Because something came into confirmation when you went up to pray for them. There are some of us in this building on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, that God has laid on your heart to pray for people, and you think you're a weirdo, you're a freak, they're going to think you're stupid. But when they come up here, listen, pay attention, and if He lays it on your heart, operate. You don't have to go ask them their address, their phone number. Just go up and get into agreement. Because God works through obedience. He always has. He always will. And so with these gifts, with faith, let me tell you one more thing about faith. Faith isn't just about the big things. It's about little things. And it is everything. It's an element that makes all the difference and change. You, Some of you in your family are the element of faith. You're the hub. You're the one that's different than everybody else. You bring something into that household that nobody else does. Because when you walk in, faith walks in. When you walk in, expectation walks in. When you walk in, you begin to see things, and they see things in you they don't see in the rest of them. Because there's a gift of faith upon you. Operate in your gifts and recognize them. This is not prideful. This is not about arrogance. This is not about being seen. If there's anything that's disgusting, it's when somebody wants to get up in front of people to be seen, especially in the name of the Lord. That is offensive, and it makes me nauseous. When you go with the right spirit, Moses didn't want to lead Israel, but his gift of faith worked wonders. Just stepping out and believing. And tonight, if you're here and you have a need, maybe you need more faith. Maybe you know you need to be obedient in the giftings God's given you. Maybe you need a touch in your body. I'm going to ask you, as they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to come and stand. And I'm going to speak to the rest of you. If you're full of unbelief,